Good morning, Angela. Lovely to see you. Thank you, Felicity. Good morning to you. Angela Duplessis is joining us to talk about mental health for mediators, really for mediators to understand mental health as they go into a mediation and also to think about managing their own mental health more consciously. Angela, you're so well placed to discuss this topic because you've been a mediator for years and years and you've also come from an occupational social work background. You qualified in the 80s uh, in, in social work and moved into occupational social work and so you know the workplace and people and questions of mental health intimately. Yes. Yes, I do. Great. Well, then you're really well positioned. And we've chosen this topic because our newsletter this month is about well-being, uh, well-being in the workplace and how we might ourselves maintain our own well-being as we do our work with people in the workplace, but also how we might become more knowledgeable about well-being and mental health in the workplace. So I thought we should just start out by understanding the concept of mental health, because as a term, this has really grown in prominence pre and post COVID in particular at this time. So how would you define the concept of mental health? Well, Felicity, I find the one that the WHO put out really helpful because it takes a, a broad sweep at the topic. They view mental health as a state of well-being in which the individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses, not necessarily the abnormal, but the normal stresses of daily life, can work productively and fruitfully and is able to contribute to his or her community, and I would add family. And so in summary, it's about our emotional, psychological and social well-being. Right. Well, that's really helpful. Now, when I think of mental health and well-being, I think of extremes. On the one hand, we might be talking about a person who's feeling very anxious who's feeling uh, perhaps depressed. And then you might work along that continuum to a point where a person has a diagnosis of, let's say, autism or yeah. more difficult or more challenging mental health condition. So in our conversation today, are we talking about the full spectrum or are we talking about what our focus is for this conversation? Well, Felicity, our focus really is on looking at mental health in the context of mediation. So I'm guessing that we are talking about people who are able and strong enough to go through a mediation. And of course, that would imply being in touch with reality and maybe just needing, and we'll speak about it a bit, a bit later on, maybe just needing a safe space, the role of the mediator to be um, understanding, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just can't see us, unless something happens in the moment that we hadn't anticipated, actually being able within the mediation to accommodate somebody has, who has a serious mental health challenge and simply is unable really to be relatively fully present. Right. And perhaps that's a conversation for another day, because we certainly would have potentially in a mediation someone with autism, but we probably wouldn't have someone with a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Exactly. So as a mediator, what might we notice that might indicate that the person's well-being or mental health is under pressure as they're coming into this mediation? What sort of things should a mediator look out for? Well, um, Felicity, the first thing I'd like to say is that I think what could go wrong or what we need to be careful of 
uh, we need to understand whether the mental health problem, and you write it's mostly anxiety and depression, I'm guessing, that we would be dealing with, whether this has been caused or exacerbated by the conflict between the parties, the issue to resolve, and the relationship between the parties. I mean, for example, a divorce mediation would be easy to understand what some of the emotions in the room might be, but there are some sensitive dynamics around dealing with harassment, bullying, the impact of very poor leadership, where I've often worked with people who have had a serious mental health problem because of very poor leadership. But the actual signs, and here I want to say thanks to Arabella, because she got some ideas from people that she was training on, on the topic, and they pointed out the person can be very despondent, very negative. And we all know, Felicity, how we need to approach resolving a mediation or finding a resolution in a mediation in a kind of optimistic spirit, perhaps very tearful, very importantly, being stuck in the past. So getting stuck on a lot of the factual conversations, the what happened conversations, and difficult to consider a way forward. Difficulty hearing the other person's perspective for a whole variety of reasons. And here, the mediator might need to play quite an active role perhaps feelings that the other party is actually out to get them. So they are there with some sense of malfeasance or bad faith, a repetitive narrative, which reinforces their negative feelings. And then just a, a last couple of ones, battling with concentration, and my gosh, a reluctance to speak, and perhaps blaming, a capacity to blame the other party, and, you know, not able to see that there may be joint contribution from both parties, if that is indeed relevant. So those are just some signs and symptoms that may become apparent. So those might themselves present some very challenging moments in a mediation for the mediator. So what does, how can the mediator prepare themselves? What do they need to know in order to be able to pick up these indicators and respond appropriately uh, either before the mediation when they're preparing and meeting the parties just over the phone or initially, but then in the mediation as well? Well, in terms of preparation, I, I guess that the most important thing is to know exactly what one may be dealing with and just make sure that the person who you're going to draw into a mediation is actually, as we said, would be able to undertake some of the basic tasks that are required of them in the mediation. And so the pre-mediation meetings would be important. Just tasks like making a coherent opening statement, which can often set the tone for the mediation going forward, generating options for solution, because we know, especially with anxiety and depression, very often one's problem-solving skills are the first thing to be affected. Dealing with allegations of the other party, which might be uncomfortable to hear, dealing with their own strong emotions, and uh, that of the other party. And as I said before, just keeping a level of optimism that you may be able to do the work in the mediation to find a resolution. And there, of course, people argue that mediation can lend itself to dealing with some difficulties around mental health because of the flexibility of the process. Things like taking frequent breaks, setting certain ground rules, 
for example, respectful interactions about raising voices or name calling. And then, of course, the role of the mediator is to make sure that the space is kept a safe space for both the parties concerned. And those pre-meetings which we've spoken about might be very important uh, diagnostically to see whether it's viable to carry on with the mediation process. And what I found helpful from time to time is suggesting a support person in the process with the person who's struggling with an aspect of mental health. It could be a relative, it could be a friend, it could be advisor, and they might have the role of observer within the room or sitting outside just to be able to be with the person during those breaks. And then lastly, of course, if it really does become very fraught, the idea would be to separate the parties into different rooms and then the mediator move between them. Now, you started off that response with a reference to being prepared. And one of my sort of bugbears at the moment is this aspect of preparation. For me, in any mediation, uh, regardless of whether you are expecting there to be a high level of anxiety or emotion, is to meet the parties beforehand, over the phone or in person, Zoom ideally, in order to get a sense of where they're at psychologically and physically, emotionally, and to help them anticipate the mediation that they're coming into that might exacerbate any underlying anxiety, stress, or mental health condition. So I find that it's helpful to start communicating with people really early on set up a meeting and ask people how they're feeling about the mediation and give them a sense of trying to help them imagine being in the room with the other person. Is that what you mean? Or perhaps that's what we might refer to as psychological safety is giving them a sense of the safety of the process. Yes, very well said, in the sense that really the principle is as few surprises as possible during a mediation process. So think very proactively with the party that's more vulnerable than the other party, or perhaps is too vulnerable, uh, parties to anticipate so that they are not absolutely stopped in their tracks and just want to flee out the room, which I know all of us, whether we did early work at the CCMA or the mediations that we do today, parties can become very nervous and very highly charged and literally have to leave the room. So the more preparation, the better. That I find sort of panic that can set in with a party isn't limited to workplace mediation or employment mediation, it applies just as much to a commercial mediation because we're all people, we all have mental health and we all have stressors or hot buttons that can really cause us to feel enormously stressed and overwhelmed. Exactly. Right. So in all of this, there is, of course, us, the mediator, and we're, after all, as human as our parties. So what are the sort of things that we could do ourselves to prepare ourselves for a mediation and manage the inevitable anxiety associated with being in charge of such a challenging process? 
Yes, I mean, Felicity, the question really is who cares for the caregivers? You know, we've heard that so often over the years, but just some ideas that I've had, also some ideas that Arabella brought up are just the obvious ones, like um, supervision or mentoring, just having somebody you trust that you can see as soon after a, a mediation as you need to see them and just be able to share what's uh, happened, share your feelings and get some perspective from a person with with whom you have a really positive collegial relationship. Then, of course, there is co-mediation. But I must just point out, we all know this, that co-mediation has some risks. And certainly in the divorce space, and I don't do that work anymore, it was, it was very, very tough. I often would not agree with the perspective of my uh, co-mediator, who would be a legally trained person and wouldn't entertain anything to do with feelings and things like that. So co-mediation where you can support each other and you do get on your similar styles or your different styles suit each other is really useful. Clear professional boundaries, I suppose, you know, not sharing phone numbers or whatever. I, I would be interested to hear what, what you think about what things have helped you to set clear professional boundaries. Then really emotional debriefing with a trained person. I think that's inherent in the supervision and mentoring. And then the conscious resting and unwinding and making sure that if possible, after a really difficult session, you are able to gather yourself, especially if you have something that very day. Yes, you, well, you make the, the point about clear professional boundaries. I think that is really key. And that's on a continuum from being emotionally secure, let's say yourself, to do the work and confident to do the work so that you aren't needy in the situation and you aren't kind of triggered by things that you hear so that you aren't drawn in in terms of transference. You are intact emotionally or secure for that mediation emotionally, but also you're clear on where the relationship starts and ends. I think one thing about mediation that I keep in mind is that it is, even if it is a stage process like workplace mediation tends to be taking place over time and not just a one-day event it does have a beginning and it does have an end so I'm careful about for example not sending emails to parties outside business hours not responding to emails outside business hours unless of course there's an emergency and just really managing it in such a way that I'm accessible but I'm accessible as a professional and also there as a person but that there are boundaries I can do my work and be even handed and not be drawn by one party or the other, be empathetic, but at the same time be assertive about this process being a structured professional process. Yes, well said, Felicity. Just to comment, you know, very often for us, the challenge in the mediation is some kind of workplace power differential, and it seems to be unbalanced in the room. And of course, that's where we as the mediator comes in to rebalance. And I guess you could say if somebody is very intact in their mental health, but the other party isn't, it's very appealing or not, not appealing. It, it, you often get drawn in to showing that person a lot more support, maybe taking more time with them in caucuses. Um, so we often have to balance quite tricky imbalances. Yes, absolutely.
as we come to the end of the year with a lot of tiredness and fatigue. Yes, absolutely. We need to keep our well-being and our mental health in sight. And so this is a time to recharge and be ready for 2023 with good mental fitness and well-being. And so thank you very much for the conversation. I wish all the mediators who are listening a good holiday season and uh, you too. Thank you, Felicity. That was an enjoyable presentation on on a really important topic. And, you know, let's just hope that as we move further and further away from COVID, some of the mental health issues will, you know, be lessened. But certainly, even in the work I'm doing right now, um, I just notice a lot of mental health issues arising from loss, loss of jobs, loss of family, loss of friends, etc. So I'm also with you to say that for most of us, we need a good break and to recharge our batteries. Thank you. Thanks very much.